This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. At just 22 years old, this Hollywood madam earned $1 million in her first four months of running an upscale prostitution ring. But how long would she stay on top? And when eventually caught, would she trade the one thing in the world that would guarantee her freedom? This is the Heidi Fleiss story. Hey, Aim. Hi, Megan. What's shaking? Oh, nothing. Happy to see you. So I'm going to ask you if you know Heidi Fleiss. I think everyone knows that name. I don't know much about her. I just associate her name with maybe she was a sex worker or... Yeah, she was a high-class madam, basically. And you know her from her clients, who were some very famous people. Uh, Before we get into today's episode, though, I would like to thank Ava Villaverde, who helped me with the research and writing on this episode. Thank you to Ava. All right. So are you ready to get into the Heidi Fleiss story? Let's do it. Heidi Lynn Fleiss was born December 30th, 1965. Uh, She was born and raised in Los Angeles. She was one of six siblings. Her parents, Paul Fleiss and Alyssa Fleiss, would later divorce. However, Heidi's father was a pretty prominent pediatrician, but he was also a very controversial one. So I read some of the, the articles on him. He was a doctor who was one of these seemingly AIDS deniers, so he didn't really... I didn't know there was a such thing. Yeah, I guess there was a thing among some of the medical community, didn't believe that HIV caused AIDS, and so he was involved in some cases where basically he didn't test children of parents who were known to be sick, and they later died. And I've definitely heard of this before. I've heard of the AIDS deniers, and I know there were a couple of them in the medical community, and I think, unfortunately, he was one of them. Heidi reported having a very good relationship with her family and her father, and she actually said in a later article, my father gave me every opportunity in the world. So keep that in mind. But uh, Heidi did drop out of high school at age 16. She got her GED, and then she went on to attend some college. She didn't seem that interested in college. Heidi was more interested in a party fast kind of life. And in 1987, she met Madam Alex, a prominent Hollywood madam. Uh, Heidi met her through her then boyfriend director, Ivan Naj. Within a couple months, Fleiss was managing the prostitution ring under Madam Alex, and she was just 22. So she originally started as one of her sex workers. In a 2000 interview, which is obviously later on, but it's Fleiss had stated that Alex was kind of like the daughter that she loved and hated. Alex was both abusive and loving to Heidi at the same time. Mm. But she obviously trusted her. And Heidi was, you know, she was she was a smart girl. And one of Madame Alex's first tasks, though, for Heidi was to recruit new younger girls to replace the older women who were aging out of the business. Because what were they, like 20? <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, I don't know how old they were, but I guess Alex was older and she started with, mm-hmm. you know, a certain... Yeah. And so she was like, okay, it's time to, you know, get a younger, mm-hmm. younger blood. And she probably saw Heidi as a great way. Heidi was a young party girl, mm-hmm. so go ahead and recruit it. But I think Alex would regret this decision later on because basically Heidi started recruiting girls no problem. And realized, I can do this. I don't, I don't need to work for anyone myself. Mm. So in 1990, Fleiss left Madame Alex and started her own prostitution ring. 
Fleiss said that she made her first million dollars after four months in the business as a madam. Was she also participating in this work as well? No, she was just running the show then. I mean, there's a lot of photos. If you look online, there's a lot of like salacious photos of her and the girls. Like she'll be holding like one of their, you know, groping them or like. But I think this is, you know, she might have done some playing, but she wasn't working in that regard. She was the madam. And she said on her slowest night at the time, slowest night, $10,000 a night. I mean, she, and there's a lot of pictures, uh, Fleiss lived the high life for the next three years. Uh, but in 1993, she was arrested on multiple charges. We know uh, of at least one of Fleiss's call girls wanted out, and she turned out to be a key informant against Heidi. Mm. So what happened with this woman, this key informant? Well, she had saved some money working for Fleiss and wanted to leave. And a lot of, I guess a lot of the girls who came in, because they were, you know, kind of those higher class, um, they were pursuing acting and modeling, but this was just, this was a good way to make money. So this woman wanted to leave to pursue an acting modeling career. And Fleiss was, Heidi was reluctant to let her go. I guess she was a top earner. A task force had also been organized, though, to investigate Fleiss. And that's when, basically, this woman turned to an undercover Beverly Hills police detective, giving him everything. The background on Fleiss, the organization, she Mm. gave him the nuts and bolts. Because this is the only way she saw that she was going to get out, with Fleiss being basically taken out. Mm. With this new information, undercover detectives went to meet Heidi at a bar where she was hosting a function. The detectives even borrowed a Ferrari to help sell their cover story. But they were like, you know, rich yeah. men looking for women. They introduced themselves as businessmen and suggested they could try to do business in the future. So they started off by getting her phone number that night. But then they got ready basically to conduct a sting at the Beverly Hilton Hotel Suite. And this is the sting operation that resulted in Heidi's arrest. Mm. So what happened at this thing? Well, they had four police officers posing as Japanese businessmen and they had hidden cameras and they made a call to Fleiss and requested four girls. And so Heidi sent four girls over to entertain them. (laughs) And basically the girls came into the room and the police officers said that as soon as they started to undress, which I don't think took very long, they called it. Uh, essentially, the officers, everyone came in and it was a big bust. Everyone, were, these, were these underage girls? Or just, they were not okay. underage girls, no. Right. And that wasn't a, mm-hmm. an issue. They were, all, they were young, but they mm-hmm. were all of age. But basically, they arrested the girls there. And then they had another team at Heidi's house waiting to arrest her. So it was, you know, a sting happening. As soon as the girls undressed and they, you know, stopped it, everyone got arrested at this point. All right, this gets interesting because we have an arrest of Heidi and she was able to post a million dollar bail because she made a million dollars in four months. And I guess they didn't freeze all of her assets right away. But here's the thing. She was charged in two systems. She was charged by the state and then she was also charged in the federal system with federal tax evasion. She, I know, so this is um, going to get, it's not complicated, but I just want to, there, there are essentially going to be two cases against her. One's in the state of California, one's in the federal system. Right. She pleaded not guilty to federal charges of conspiracy to commit tax fraud, filing a false income tax return, loan fraud, and money laundering. Her first trial took place in the California state criminal justice system because she was charged there first. I'm going to start by actually telling you guys, normally I would give you the whole details of the trial. What I'm actually going to do this time is tell you what the result of the trials was and then tell you what information came out. Because the information that came out came out in two different trials and it can get a little complicated. So in this state one, they found her guilty. In the state case, they found her guilty of three counts of pandering, which is basically procuring prostitution. 
Uh, they deadlocked on the other two counts, and they found her not guilty of one count of supplying cocaine to an undercover police officer. <laughs> okay. Very interesting random charges. So after her, her guilty verdict, she was sentenced to three years in prison. But in an interesting turn of events, in her appeal, she had a May 1996 appeal, her conviction was overturned when it was shown that jurors committed a number of infractions. And it seemed like when I, when I was researching it, I don't remember this, but it seemed like they were trading almost like favors in the jury room and uh, almost like bar- what, bartering their votes. There were other types of infractions, don't get me wrong, but that so was- it was just jury misconduct generally, that's okay. But a lot. It was so very significant. And, and It got overturned or sent back? Like, was there was a retrial or It just, was overturned. They just, nope, really? They overturned her conviction. Don't they usually, if there's jury tampering, don't they send it back for another trial? Or? Well, they can, right? So they can remand it, they yeah. can vacate, but they overturned it wow, outright. So she not, was done. I feel like that's very rare. We both know how rare it is anyway to prevail in an appeal, but then to have your conviction overturned completely. But mm. she still had a federal trial to go. Before I get to the federal trial, let me talk about some of the people who testified at both state and federal trials and how this impacted Fleiss. One of the people was the former National Basketball System team owner and the president of Nabisco's Mexican subsidiary. And he testified that they spent tens of thousands of dollars on prostitutes that Fleiss provided to them. Isn't that illegal, though, too, for them? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's busted. Yeah. Yes. Um, film and television producer Howard Schenkler, who once owned the Denver Nuggets which is a terrible name, and held a financial interest in the Houston Rockets, testified that he wrote at least five checks totaling $17,000 in 1992 for sex with women Fleiss provided. Mm -hmm. So this is another big guy. Another Nabisco executive, Manuel. Is this Nabisco like the graham cracker Nabisco? Yeah. Oh. Nabisco Nabisco executive Manuel Santos also described himself as a real estate developer, um, and he testified that he wrote checks for nearly $40,000 to pay Fleiss and her sex workers in 1992. Two women who worked for Fleiss basically reported also dropping off cash and envelopes and reported flying to different locations to have sex with men in like Paris, Greece. I mean, this was a high class operation. You might also, this is, this is why I remember Heidi Fleiss in the trial. More so than anyone, Charlie Sheehan testified at this trial. As a client? Of course. Um, yeah, Charlie Sheehan testified that he spent something like $50,000. And interestingly, later on, she would say, like, no, he spent more like $300,000. <laughs> but Fleiss, she never turned these people in. So how they got Charlie Sheehan, she had in her bag when they arrested her, like a traveler's check from him. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and they had recording, basically. They had checks and some other things. Yeah. So she never gave up these people, but they got them. And yeah. then you know what they did? They gave them Deals. immunity. Yep. Yeah. To, they gave Charlie Sheehan like full immunity to testify against her. So that's what happened. Assistant U.S. Attorney Mark Holscher said that between 1991 and 1993, Fleiss ran a massive prostitution ring that earned several hundred thousand dollars. But she reported only $33,000 of income during that time. What do you mean she reported? Isn't it illegal? To get income from being a madam anyway? Yeah, I'm sure she reported under, under other okay. uh, auspices. So it's tax fraud because she is, it's besides tax, the fact that it's tax yeah. fraud and tax evasion. I'm going to imagine, she could, it's illegal to run obviously that, but she might have been under, um, it's not technically illegal all escorting or, um, gotcha. you know what I mean? I'm going to say that yeah, she, she, to, she, okay. she fudged that a little bit mm-hmm. too. Um, He also stated that Heidi failed to report at least $200,000 and that she lied in a loan application to hide the fact that she was buying her $1.6 million Benedict Canyon home with earnings from sex workers. Mm. 
Possibly the most damning, though, and this is where Heidi's father came in. Dr. Fleiss pleaded guilty in May to three felony counts of conspiring with his daughter to defraud the IRS by concealing her income over three years and making false statements to federal banks. He was helping her. Meaning that she would funnel her money through his business? I don't know if she funneled money through his business. They found communications that he was clearly advising her on ways to keep her money clean. Got it. Even though she had said that he was disappointed in her and didn't want her to be doing what she was doing, um, I guess he helped her to just conceal it in some way. So she had said at one point that that was one of the most upsetting things, you know, what she did to her parents, what she did to her father. In the federal case here, after all these people testify, I mean, they have a strong case. Fleiss was convicted in 1996 of federal charges of tax evasion. And she was sentenced to seven years in prison, of which she only served 20 months before being released to a halfway house. Fleiss, uh, basically, after the court announced her, you know, the verdict and whatnot, Fleiss said, it's like my lawyer said, all of America thinks this is ridiculous. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) You're saying you didn't know the case that well. There was a lot of media coverage and a lot of discussion about whether or not they were going after her too hard or was it really worth it? Here's what they were really after, though. They were after the infamous Black Book. Through her career, Fleiss had one strict rule that she always kept, and she never, ever disclosed her clients. So it wasn't in her backpack when she got arrested. It sure wasn't. She had, people reported, they knew she had it, but she had a red Gucci address book. So not literally black, but you Mm -hmm. know, and it held all of her clients' names. And each time they did business with her, inclusive of the money that they spent. And while she was on trial in both cases, she was presented like many times to cut a deal by giving up the clients, but she never took the deals. Good for her. I mean, she never gave anyone up. Again, the only name that came out were the, the couple of men that, you know, because they traced him because of checks and money. So people were probably dying to know because there was probably some high-powered men in that. She had the most high-powered clients. I mean, she had the biggest, hottest L.A. brothel, you know (laughs) what I'm saying? In 2015, it was posted on eBay that her address book was up for sale, the seller not accepting anything less than $100,000. Was Heidi Fleiss the seller? No, she wasn't. (laughs) But who would have it? She said it was either stolen or like it was fake. Okay. Although I read that the listing includes some original pages And who knows? I don't know where her book is. Who knows if someone actually did ever get a hold of it or had pages, they were just holding it, you know. There wasn't very much information on the seller, though. And it it looks like it really didn't go through because there was no way of proving if this was actually Mm -hmm. her book. And Fleiss said that it was not. In 2019, Fleiss said that she wanted to reveal a client due to feeling betrayed by him. But she ended up never doing so. And She said basically that she just felt like that book was private and nobody else's business. One of the things about Heidi is that Heidi is who she is. Mm -hmm. She does what she wants to do. She says what she wants. You know, she's she's not afraid. Um, I heard her also say, you know, I'm just not that likable, but that's really okay. I'm dying to know what she's doing now. A lot of weird stuff going on after. Okay, so (laughs) let's talk about... Now that we, I gave you a little bit of black book and I I know it took us forward, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to go back to when... She left jail, and that was in 1999. After serving just a couple of years. She served 20 months. 20 months. Oh, not even. Okay. Yeah, no, she served uh, seven years. When she left jail in 1999, she started dating the actor Tom Sizemore. Do you know who he is? You have to look him up. He's famous. He's you'll know him when you see him. He's I know been the in a name. Lot. He's been Sizemore? in a lot. Of, yeah, he's been in a lot of war movies. Um, I actually, 
think he's a really good actor. But Sizemore, unfortunately, also has a bad reputation. 2003, Sizemore was convicted of one count of physically abusing Heidi and on several charges of harassing her. During an interview, Fleiss said, no one will have more disgusting stories in Hollywood than him. Fleiss added, I have dealt with a lot of people doing a lot of different things. It's different with Tom. He's a whole other level. But she was dating him? Well, this was after, as I said, he was convicted. He was actually tried. He went to trial in 2003 for abusing her. And she was a witness. Um, He was her ex-fiance. She was crying hard on the witness stand. Um, She talked about the times that he actually had um, physically harmed her. He was charged with 16 counts of domestic violence, threats, witness intimidation, property destruction, and making more than 100 obscene and harassing phone calls. If he was convicted, he could have faced up to 13 years in prison. Wow. When the couple appeared on the Howard Stern radio show... For one of Sizemore's new movie, Fleiss commented that the movie was too violent. And afterwards, Fleiss said that they went back to their hotel room and Sizemore beat her so hard that they couldn't go to the premiere. She said she was afraid to call the police because she was a paroled felon and he was this all-American guy and he was an actor and respected and she thought he could send me back to prison. This is not uncommon. I think we should point out for people who don't report abuse. Mm -hmm. It's not uncommon at all for a number of reasons, but especially when someone is in, you know, your abuser has more of the power. She also reported that in May 2002, Sizemore beat her because she confronted him about reports that he'd been cheating on her with sex workers. He did time. He was convicted. But he was only sentenced to something like six or seven months of jail. And Sizemore is a drug addict. And he had a lot of problems with substance abuse. But so does Heidi Fleiss. I don't know if you know that part. So the next aspect, really, of the two of them and of their lives were their drinking and the drugs. Tom Sizemore had long been released from jail when he and Fleiss would appear together on Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew in 2008. (laughs) You've seen that, right? Yes. Yeah, they were on the show together and, you know, they were, everything was okay. They had become friendly. Uh, They weren't rekindled. They weren't romantically involved. I felt like it was trying to imply that they, or there were some implications, but I don't think so. I think she had said that they did become friendly again at some point, but I don't think it was anything serious. He was allowed to appear on the show because the restraining order had lapsed (laughs) at that point. And so the reunion was amicable. Um, Drew Pinsky, or Dr. Drew, who treated Fleiss for substance abuse, performed brain scans on her that showed significant frontal lobe dysfunction, which Pinsky surmised was behind her inability to empathize with people. Heidi's a drug of choice, by the way, just so you know. Uh, I believe she used marijuana, but also meth was really her drug of choice. And during the filming of the program, Fleiss left the center and was involved in an accident with her SUV near her home in Nevada. She subsequently returned to rehab because obviously this accident involved substance abuse. Um, Fleiss said when asked about doing this, you know, doing Dr. Drew, she's like, uh, I was thrilled to be able to get paid a half a million dollars just for being a drug addict and them giving me basically treatment. <laughs> Jeez. In 2009, Heidi Fleiss was sentenced um, to three years of probation for felony drug charges stemming from her arrest in rural Nevada town, which is where she lives. She agreed to a plea deal, which gave her the chance to basically have the convictions dismissed from her record if she remained out of trouble. In 2013, Fleiss avoided a night in jail, but faced other charges, including possession of controlled substances with intent to sell after 392 marijuana plants were found on her property. Um, So basically, she's still gotten in trouble with drugs, both selling and using. And this this has definitely been a problem that's plagued her. 
Fleiss admits openly to still using meth. Um, this, uh, the charges that she faced, she never went back to jail for them, never went back to prison. Um, but she says that she still uses meth. In fact, one of the things she says is, I snort meth like I'm drinking a cup of coffee. I don't stay up all night doing rails. I have birds to feed in the morning. <laughs> so what is she referring to the birds? All right, well, let's talk about some of the uh, inside business here. I mean, I was giving you the personal stuff, but there's some other stuff that happened with her life after the trial. In 2005, she announced plans to open a brothel called Heidi Fleiss's Stud Farm. And in, it was going to be in a, Nevada, right? It's, yeah. And it's um, that's why she went to Nevada. It's legal in Nevada, right? Yeah, okay. of course. She was going to partner with Dennis Hoff. Do you know who Dennis Hoff is? Dennis Hoff was the bunny ranch owner. Mm -hmm. Right. So she was going to partner with him, who, by the way, was briefly her fiance. <laughs> Hoff actually uh, later would die of a heart attack in 2018, but Fleiss basically moves from Hollywood to Nevada where she lives on a bird sanctuary and she cares for parrots, okay? How did she get into this? She moved to Nevada and I think she was like going for this whole stud farm thing. Why it didn't happen? She said that she basically, there were just too many, like too many um, obstacles. Like there was, you know, like a zoning issue and then there was a this issue. And I mean, you know, I guess nobody wanted to help support the Madam start uh, a brothel. And she just realized it was going to be more than it was mm -hmm. kind of worth. And she had a neighbor, I guess. This neighbor had birds, like all these rescue birds. And the neighbor was actually taken out one night by like a hospital ambulance. She got really sick and passed away. And I think Heidi said she was like telling her, like, take care of my birds. But that's what she basically did for several years, lived in Nevada and just lived with her parrots. She does other things. Like she actually made a successful business in um, flipping. Do you know what Airstreams are? No. Nope. You know, like the, the the things that you travel in, like mini RVs where you can like travel, like they, oh. they're like fancy. Yeah, yeah. She like made a good business out of actually doing this, believe it or not, like buying them and selling them. She like sold a bunch to celebrities. Seems like she's, you know, she she can bounce back. Mm -hmm. She seems to always find a new endeavor. In 2019, Fleiss sued Elizabeth Keating, a former reporter who Fleiss gave $4 million to, claiming that she ran away with Fleiss's money that she was supposed to invest in basically Bitcoin. What? Yes. And Fleiss said that she was hoping to raise money for the bird sanctuary. Um, and now that she, and basically she's tangled up in a lawsuit that's ongoing. I mean, her birds are, she's got three dozen rescued birds. She lives with her winged creatures. And Fleiss has been single since Dennis Hoff, you know, her fiance, died of a heart attack in 2018. She stated, right now I would freak out if I saw a man or a woman naked in front of me. I'm no virgin and I don't know why, but the thought of sex creeps me out. It would be a waste of time. I just want to take care of my birds. Okay, good for her. So that's basically where she's at now. I mean, when she was dating Sizemore, they were in the media a lot. And it was always reported that they had a tumultuous mm -hmm. relationship. I don't know what, you know, if she was violent on her mm -hmm. end, but, you know, he was much more seriously abusive. And yeah. he spiraled out of control in a lot of different ways, too. And she recalled, like, years later, she invited him to some event and she said it wasn't good. Like, he wasn't in good shape. And mm. so there was a lot of bad stuff there. And I guess after the Nevada, you know, after the basically the brothel fell apart, she just kind of chilled out and has just, you know, for her. yeah, Rescue it is. Birds. I mean, she rescues birds and she's kind of happier now, but she still, you know, actively uses drugs and said she worries about dying because who will take care of her birds, mm. which is a little bit sad that yeah. part. But OK, now that we've actually gotten through Heidi Fleiss, let's turn to one of my favorite parts of the episode. And this is where we explain Fleiss's behavior using theory. Fleiss said that she had a wonderful upbringing and her parents gave her all the opportunity in the world, but she didn't take that path. 
She liked the lifestyle and making fast money. And so Amy. Control theory. All right, Amy, control theory. Which control theory? Low self-control theory. Okay, low self-control theory is pretty simple, right? It just posits that people with low self-control are going to be more likely to commit crimes. So they describe people with traits of low self-control. and some, Impulsivity. Yeah, right? Impulsivity, um, you know, an appreciation for the quick, a little bit hot-headed, which Heidi has said that she is. Short-term planning, but not long-term realistic goals. You definitely saw that with her prostitution ring. But she didn't have like a long plan. Like, you know, she wasn't thinking about the fact that she was going to get caught. She was just enjoying the moment. I mean, it kind of seems like differential reinforcement also. Because How so? Because she was making all this money by doing these awful things. She kept getting the positive uh, reinforcement. Right. Okay. Differential reinforcement is basically when we talk about like differential reinforcement, this is just like feedback, like rewards. And yep. for her bad behavior, she's getting all this positive feedback. Even what did she, how long did she serve before she got out for her 20 jail months. Stint? And how long was it? Seven years was the potential? Supposed to be, yeah. So that's just showing like, oh, I can act this way and really get away with it. All right. So maybe when she was committing those crimes, like you feel like the feedback was good. Everyone loved her too. Yeah. She was making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, kind of hand over fist. I think that's true. I want to go back really quickly. Her low self-control, I think you can explain if you look at what Dr. Drew said. She has frontal lobe dysfunction. Oh, yeah. This is the exact area which deals with impulsivity mm -hmm. and that kind of control. So I think that the low self-control could have been biological, mm -hmm. um, which is not usually what they say in low self-control. Usually the idea is that it's, it's bred. Mm -hmm. But it might have been also if her father was also kind of you know, he gave her opportunity, but then he was helping her at some point to cover her criminal yeah. enterprise. So we don't know, you know, if he, the parents mm -hmm. contributed to this yep. as well. I also just think really quickly, um, strain theory, but not typical strain theory. Uh, so typical strain theory, which we've talked about, says that people who can't access financial opportunities will innovate and commit crime. But she had the access. So I go to the later version of strain, which focuses on the American dream. Mm -hmm. So in the American dream theory, because we stress so much in the U.S. materialism and success and money and, you know, at any cost. Um, Whatever it, you need to do to get ahead. It just promotes and it promotes that insatiable greed. Mm -hmm. yep. So I do think that there's something culturally that, you know, clicked with Heidi mm -hmm. as well. You know, she wanted the money and she wanted it quickly. Yep. Okay. Now that we've covered theory, I want to get to one other, one or two other big questions of the day before we close it out. First of all, we always ask if the system got it right, but this one is more complicated and might also relate to your feelings about prostitution as a crime that should be treated, you know, illegally or legally. There are so many different models. I was looking at the different models and it's not just that some places legalize it. You know, some places it's decriminalized. Mm -hmm. Some have- Well, it's a public health issue. Yes, but some have like abolition. Some have part abolition. So it's very complicated. But I would just ask you, Amy, I've never, I don't think we've ever discussed this. Are you in, what is your view on prostitution? Would you be in favor of legalizing, decriminalizing? Do you have any, doesn't, you know. I think if it was legalized, then it could be regulated better. As we see in other countries, if it's regulated, you could get tested for diseases. There's healthcare, there's taxes, right? I think that's the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, there there's the, the regulation. I think the health concern for me, I really have to say, I agree with you for health reasons. Um, and for regulation, they can also protect women because, you know, a lot of people or a lot of women who are sex workers are frequently raped yep. and, and physically abused. Exactly. So there, it offers some level of protection. 
and for these reasons, I'm definitely more in favor of either legalization or decriminalization. I but agree. there's also the other reason. And the second reason for me is that I don't know the, specifically the girls who or the women who worked for Heidi Fleiss, but I know that her operation is different than most, right? It's a high level um, operation. And some of them were just aspiring for, you know, greater things. And that's where they were kind of starting. What I do know, though, is that most women who are sex workers are not in high class brothels or high class, you know, they don't work for Heidi Fleiss. They're not making that kind of money. They're making enough to give their kids dinner and that's it. Maybe not even that. So most of them, the women that we know are committing crimes of survival. Mm -hmm. And what do we know about these women and their backgrounds? They have substantial histories of abuse, neglect, mental health issues, drug use. Um, So I think that what we do then is we punish those women. They're already victimized, and mm-hmm. we punish them again by victimizing them all over again and treat them mm-hmm. as if though you know they are, are criminal. And I think that's wrong. And I do think that a lot of the women that were clients of Heidi Fleiss probably had other opportunities. It just wasn't as quick and easy. I do. I, that's why I said, I, I, and I don't know specifically, but I, I think you know the women who worked for her are different than 90, I'd say 8% mm-hmm. of your average sex workers. Mm-hmm. So for those reasons, I actually um, do favor... I favor legalizing it because I think there should be protect the stigma should be removed and there should be protections offered to the women and regulations. Mm-hmm. But last question, taking all of that aside or putting that aside, what about Heidi Fleiss? Did the punishment fit the crime? When you're talking about the punishment, you're talking about the 20 something months of seven years? Yeah. Uh, for me, seven years seemed too, way too harsh. Oh, that's too harsh. But I don't know if 20 months, that might not be harsh enough. Yeah, I'm with you. I would probably split the baby too. She yep. probably should have served, you know, three years, something of that. For for me, I think, you know, three years probably would have been appropriate. You can't defraud the government and you can't, you know, yeah. run a, you know, white collar crime is still serious too. And I don't think it's okay to let white collar offenders simply breeze by. But of course not, because I hate when people say it's victimless. It's not victimless. It's absolutely not victimless. No. People just don't realize because there's no immediate harms. And so, yeah, perhaps in this case, the punishment didn't exactly fit the crime. And maybe there wasn't perfect justice in this case. I hope that Heidi gets some help for her drug problem. Thank you, Megan. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show while gaining access to ad-free episodes, exclusive AMAs, and other bonus content for a small monthly contribution through Patreon. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include USA Today, LA Times, The New York Post, New York Times, Larry King Live, Fox News, Pittsburgh Tribune Review, The Seattle Times, and Chicago Tribune.